0: America, your favorite real estate professional here in the Upstate, and today I am so excited to introduce you to our special guest. I am so honored to have him here. He is the superstar here in the entire state of South Carolina of the show, Ditch and Dirt, and also the owner of Blair Cato, um, Pickering Castroline. Did I pronounce that right? You got it right. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Gary. How Thanks. are you?
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. I'm really excited about all the things that you're doing in this industry. It's really amazing. So when you call me a superstar, I feel like you're really <laughs> the superstar.
0: No, I, I am really honored to have you well, here. Thank, well, thank you, you so much again. Thank you. Gary, tell us a little bit more about um, your business and what what is your mission?
1: Well, we're Blair Cato Pickering Castellan. We're a real estate law firm in Greenville and in Columbia and Lexington. We really love working in real estate. We've been doing it for, I've been doing this for 26 years mm-hmm. and we, we take a different philosophy with real estate. We kind of make ourselves the unfirm. We try to do everything different than any real estate law firm would ever do. We don't like the old stuffy rooms, the old coat. Entire lawyers. <laughs> we want to be different and that's why we dress the way we do. That's why right. we do podcasts. That's why we do the video stuff that we do. We just try to have fun with life and have fun with what we do because that's what real estate is. It's fun. You're, you're buying your house and you're enjoying life.
0: I absolutely agree. One of my missions is to educate people and that's one of the reasons we do this right. uh, just like you. Uh, so we align in that um, and also I'm, I'm passionate about real estate. So right. um, I, I love what we do. We have so much fun doing it and we also make it fun that's why i dress with cool colors that's right uh in our office doesn't really look like an office Um, we we have like fun furniture but anyways
1: we're we're so aligned on that
0: yeah we are totally anyways guys today we want to talk about the most search the highest search on on google right now which is are we in a housing bubble is the market going to crash That's what everyone's asking.
1: Hope not. (laughs) We're going to be in trouble if it does, because that's what we do for a living, right?
0: Right. Um, So a disclaimer here. None of us are economists, right? That's right. But both of us come from experience. I have been in the real estate industry for over um, almost 14 years now. I I didn't start in sales. I started as a loan officer, Mm -hmm. then um, an architectural designer, and then I transitioned to sales uh, six years ago. But I have been in the industry basically my entire life. I don't know anything else but real estate, right? And I don't think we are in a bubble.
1: I don't think we are either. When you look back, I think what people are scared about is 2007. Yeah. I mean, we we lived it, you lived it, you were in the mm-hmm. mortgage industry at that time. I've been practicing 26 years and nothing scares us more than 2007 does. <laughs> Yeah. But 2007 and 2021 are very different because in 2007, it was an artificial demand. It was all about flipping properties, making money. People really didn't have much interest in mm-hmm. buying the houses and living in them. Right. Today, it is purely a supply and demand issue. Right. And I think COVID has diminished our supply in a lot of ways. Um, We have a lot of factors that we can talk about later that are diminishing our supply of houses, Mm -hmm. but the demand is still there. And I think even as the COVID can seem to be going away now, thank goodness. um, I still think the demand's there. Millennials are now hitting the market like we've never seen before. So we have a whole new market that is actually coming in. So we talk a lot about that in dish and dirt on my podcast about how we think this is not a bubble market. I don't don't see it.
0: Right. I don't see it either. Um, There are two real estate markets, buyer's market, um, and a seller's market. And right now we are in a seller's market. Um, however, now that you mentioned millennials, I'm a millennial myself, right? And I, I lived the trend for a few years of being a complete minimalist. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was, um, living in a very, very small place, super small, and I was totally okay with it. Um, I, I was super happy with fitting everything in my, my backpack. I actually took three years, uh, to travel the world, 32 countries total. And that was just a trend. I, it wasn't just myself. I saw a lot of people having that mindset of not spending money,
1: right?
0: Right. Of, um, living a carefree life, which is awesome. I enjoyed it, but. Obviously, um, I'm settled now, (laughs) right? Um, And I think that COVID, when the pandemic started and people had to stay in one place, Mm -hmm. a lot of millennials realized, okay, um, it's fun and games and everything, but... We need more space.
1: Well, in 2007, after the collapse in 2010, we had a lot of first-time home buyers Mm. enter the market. And what we noticed in 2010, 11, and 12 was that we were having people put 50% down. Yeah. And my generation, generation X, when we bought houses, we did it to the max. If if the lender said you're approved for 300 grand, you asked for 305. Right. And millennials weren't doing that because my generation always looked at real estate as this growing investment, mm-hmm. but a lot of millennials what they actually saw was their parents bought a house their parents lost money on that house. So they never saw that value. I think mm-hmm. that is now changing as they, like you said. Um, and so I do think that millennials now are starting to see real estate in a different light and they're wanting bigger, better. And, and then a lot of millennials are getting married and having kids and there's never enough room when you have kids, we know that right. we need bigger. And you nailed it on COVID. Uh, I think a lot of people were at home and they were happy with their three bedroom house. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're working at home mm-hmm. and they're working in a dining room and they're like, If we're going to stay at home, I need to have a fourth bedroom so I can have an office. So I think you absolutely are 100% right on that.
0: Right. So let's talk about what I believe is creating the crazy demand that we're seeing. Oh, actually, let me rephrase that. The low supply that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, To begin with, when interest rates dropped, the sellers that were considering to sell instead... Refinanced. That's correct. Um, so that dropped, you know, a percentage of inventory. Um, then, as you, you mentioned, people not working from home uh, created this relationship between husband and wife um, mm-hmm. at home that were not, they were just not together all day like they have to be now. Right. Um, so divorce races actually went up. Sad. Yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. sad but it's true. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you got to sell the marital house that they have and then buy two. So uh, great market for us, but not for inventory. Inventory-wise, that, that was another hit. Uh, then we have this massive migration mm-hmm. because of the situation and people getting sick from other states that are economically hurt way more than we have mm-hmm. um especially because of the lockdowns right. and regulations um so we have we're actually the second
1: yes number uh, two number Both two for migration
0: uh-huh everybody's moving to south carolina Best place in the world to live it is it's it's beautiful nice. i love it uh, i actually recently made I know it sounds crazy, Mm -hmm. but officially made South Carolina my official home, finally. There you Uh, go. So I have been here for a long time, but I officially made it my home. There you go. Um, Then forbearance, Mm -hmm. another cause to... um, low inventory, mm-hmm. the price of lumber and materials for construction. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go on and on and on moratoriums, uh, creating a headache for developers that now don't know what to do. Uh, sellers I, uh, sellers worried about actually not finding their next home.
1: I think that's a big factor.
0: Uh, let me just tell you, recently I had um, a seller. I had the agreement. We had the pictures. We had everything taken care of, ready to go on the market, and she, she tells me a few hours before we actually push the, the button to go live. She says, America, I don't want to list my house. I can't afford to find the next one. And we, we had gone through all the solutions, right? Um, the Bridge loan. Um, not. She didn't even need to sell that house to buy the next one, but... It's it's There's tough. a fear factor, no it, doubt about it. It's really tough right now. It's very frustrating. So with with all of those factors, we are seeing a lot of new Problems.
1: Right. And and you've nailed every one of them. The forbearance, I don't think people realize how bad that is. And what mm-hmm. we're talking about with forbearance is basically people can't be foreclosed out of their home. Right. When you have foreclosures, it's a very unfortunate thing. We don't want anybody to be foreclosed on. But when somebody goes through a foreclosure, their house goes on the market, they don't typically become a buyer. They typically right. become a renter. And so you're adding a unit to, the, to right. the market without adding a buyer. And We haven't had foreclosing since COVID.
0: We haven't. So
1: there's no R.A. We call those R.A property so they're not out there
0: right Um, I actually published a book that guides people how to avoid foreclosures we don't want foreclosures in our market anywhere Um, those really hurt Our local market, no no matter where where they are. So we we try to help people to avoid foreclosures. And one of the many ways uh, to do that is to sell before they actually go into foreclosure, get their equity out. And it's just better to have a few late monthly payments on their record than than have a foreclosure hurt, hurt their credit record for many, many years mm-hmm. in the future.
1: We, so. al- we also have another issue in the Midlands, not so much in Greenville, but uh, Columbia is a very large military market. Yeah. And so once COVID happened, they stopped what we call PCS. It's a permanent change of station. And so there was no movement in the military. Mm-hmm. And so we had long periods of time. And, and in Columbia, you know, we may do 30 or 40% of our closings involve military movement. So when Fort Jackson basically locked down and said, and, and Shaw and McIntyre no more movement in and out, there were not the service members moving out of town to put those houses on the market. They opened PCSing, but most of it came in town, hmm. they didn't open up the out of town, so that definitely hurt us as well.
0: Well, we have a lot of things hurting the um, supply. Mm-hmm. There is no inventory. I mean, there right. is, but very, very low inventory available. Um, and. As I said it's creating a lot of frustration for buyers we you go into a showing right now it kind of feels like an auction
1: right (laughs) everything's over ask and 50 and 60 multiple offers it's
0: crazy right but just go to a showing you're gonna see multiple families Um, can can we touch the the legality behind potential issues when we have overlapping appointments and multiple people coming in and out without opening the lockbox.
1: Yeah, you really want to have people have their own time to come see but Mm -hmm. we understand now when you're having twenty and thirty families come on one day it gets very difficult but when you have the multiple families a lot of people feel like that it's a show to try to make them feel like there's a big demand and so that's something that is not really good for our market Mm -hmm. Um, and then you also have a lot of confidentiality issues when you're overhearing what people are saying real estate agents have a duty of confidentiality not only to their clients but they have Mm -hmm. a limited duty of confidentiality to the other party as well and so things that they hear about financing ability to buy, um, their willingness to make an offer and things of that nature. When you have so many people in there, I don't know how you protect that confidentiality of your client, Um, especially when you add the cameras on the house. (laughs) We have cameras. We could talk a whole hour on cameras. Um, So I think that's a very big issue that we've got to really be careful with as agents.
0: Right. As an agent, every time I have an appointment initially, um, I call it the home buying strategy. Um, And in it, I educate my client and I also get the buyer's agreement signed. And I explained to them, um, number one, let's not have any conversations inside the house right. or even outside the house. We're going to go see it, and then we'll talk right. once we're in the office or out somewhere uh, so that I can Very protect smart. their mm-hmm. um, information. But um, I, I'm just still seeing a lot of problems. I, I, actually, I actually had this situation where i list a house i had many phone calls from buyers that wanted me to represent them directly
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in a way i almost didn't want to right i, I honestly I, I'm, it's, it's just too much
1: right I'm,
0: I'm like um look i can have someone in my team um but i I prefer not to be a dual agent in this situation. I, I ended up not being able, able to get someone right away, so I ended up showing the house. There were dirty families. Wow! Seeing that house that same day.
1: Yeah, and that does make dual agency very difficult because the loyalty issues and you know which offer are you really presenting the strongest as the claim. That,
0: well, I, right I presented obviously. I know all you
1: offers. would, but somebody. You know, that would be a complaint <laughs> that some buyers or might or sellers might say is that right. there's a vested interest in presenting offers a certain way.
0: Right. So we're under contract with this listing and it's not a dual agency mm-hmm. um, because I did present all offers mm-hmm. and it, it's just it, it's getting complicated. When I was at the house and there were many other agents and families in the house, my seller was number one freaking out because there were too many people
1: right, okay. coming
0: in and out. Not, not of COVID stuff, you know? Oh
1: yeah. Privacy. Things, moving, and, things Yeah. Things disappearing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. Um, there's really, I mean, when, when we signed that listing agreement, we explained to them, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to see people coming in and out and I can't take any liability uh, for other mm-hmm. agents opening the lock boxes. Right. So my seller was just not ready to have so many people coming in and out of her house. She was very frustrated. Um, When I was showing the house to another buyer, I felt very, very uncomfortable. I actually told the buyer, go ahead and get in, uh, since there are so many people already in the house and not waiting in the car, because I didn't want to discourage other agents from making an offer. They recognized me as a listing agent. but it was it was actually a frustrating situation for everyone involved. The seller decided not to wait a few days. Um, and well, first be, before I move on, let, let's talk about the legality behind. Um, having so many people come in and out because I can't control that as a listing agent.
1: And that starts to get very frustrating for everybody because when you don't have the lockbox open to know who came in, what agent showed mm-hmm. the house, and you just have people walking in and out, we'd like to think everybody's honest, but unfortunately, we know in this world they're not. And right. so the seller starts worrying that things are going to go missing. Um, I used to represent a big real estate agency down in Columbia, and we had a situation we had to deal with where somebody was going in stealing pills. So, When people were walking through the house, they were going in the bathroom and looking in the cabinets and looking to see if there was any type of Oxycontin coating and things of that nature. So, um, yes, you start worrying as a seller, Mm -hmm. are my valuables going to go missing? (laughs) Are my my medications going to go missing and things like that? And so the agent starts also getting concerned because now they don't even have a list of what agents came in the house when people are just showing up and walking in without popping the lockbox. So that starts to become an issue for everybody.
0: Right, and even buyers without their agents. Um, yes,
1: because you don't know who these people are. You would hope that an agent has vetted mm-hmm. the buyer beforehand, knowing that they're a qualified buyer, um, getting a driver's license and things of that nature. But when you just have people from the neighborhood just walking in, mm-hmm. we don't know who the people are. We don't have any driver's license. We don't have if something happens. And if somebody gets hurt in the house, we don't even know if they were even right. in the house. How do you even know right. that? Right,
0: exactly. And it's just an issue because a lot of people are driving by the neighborhood, or they see a new listing and they go straight to the house just to see it from the outside. And then they feel that it's okay to just go in because they're seeing all these people do it. Right. right? I
1: think it's a model home.
0: Exactly. It's just, uh, it's a crazy market. It's, it's getting insane. Um, now, okay. This seller I'm talking about the same scenario here. The seller decided to go ahead and take an offer that day mm-hmm. and not call for best and highest. Right. Can you imagine how many phone calls I received from agents that were right. very, very upset?
1: And, and that's something we've talked about in my podcast, Edition and Dirt, is multiple offers, there is no requirement that a real estate agent disclose to other real estate agents that they have multiple offers. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's illegal for them to do so unless they have the approval and permission of their client. And so in addition to that, there is no requirement that a seller ask for best and final. If he gets 55 offers, but the first offer that came in was the offer he likes the best, he can take that first offer and just send the offer rejection form to the other 54 and move on. Mm -hmm. I think there's this misconception in estate from consumers as well as from uh, real estate agents that we have some duty to tell everybody that I've gotten two offers, four offers, six offers, and you need to give me your best offer. I don't have a duty to do that. In mm-hmm. fact, there's a lot of belief that asking for that might actually backfire on you. If you've got a really good offer that's exactly what you're looking for, why are we asking for best and final if this is what my seller wants? Take that and move on.
0: Right. Um, and I have seen situations where buyers are actually discouraged from making an offer because they're now told that there are way too many offers. Right. And they feel like, well, I may not even have a chance, so why even try? Or I don't want to go through that trouble. I don't
1: want to get in a bid war. Right. Right. I'm, I already know what my number is. And the problem with the bidding wars, and I did a, a podcast on this one as well, is that what starts happening is you start getting ridiculous offers. Mm. 10, dollars 30, dollars $50,000 over asking. But they're still contingent on appraisal. So right. we know what they're going to do. They're going to make a $50,000 offer. Mm-hmm. And then when the appraisal doesn't come in, then they're going to try to negotiate it back down to the appraisal. And so the seller has taken an offer that wasn't even the best offer. There may have been a cash offer for $10,000 over. Mm-hmm. that would have been a better offer for them instead of this loan now that they're going to try to renegotiate on the appraisal. So it's a game that a lot of people are playing and getting burned on.
0: Right. And, you know, when when this... Again, when everything, this craziness started with the pandemic, a lot of new people uh, came on board getting their license, mm-hmm. and they just don't know. Right. Uh, I, do, I know better, so I do a CMA before I even do a showing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know if my buyer has a chance and if the house is actually, because right now we're seeing a lot of homes that are overpriced with no com supporting that. Right. So I do a quick CMA just to find out if it's actually worth what they're asking. Mm-hmm. And if they have multiple offers, um, is it really worth, uh, for my client who would have, can't afford to, to waive the contingency on appraisal would have to rely on, on the appraisal to afford that house. Um, is it even worth for my client to make an offer on that house? Right. N- not really. Right. Most of, often not, not for a local, buyers um (laughs) that don't have cash because they sold their home in california or new york and they're coming with all that equity that they had uh and they're just outbidding
1: everyone everybody yeah that's a big problem too
0: right um anyways uh we are we're just seeing so many new things and they're not so new but they're being used more More often often. Mm -hmm. uh like escalating clauses Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I know a lot of agents and sellers, just people in general, are not very familiar with this terms.
1: Right. So I'm not a fan of an escalation clause, but what an escalation clause is, is that you make an offer and the offer is I'll pay X amount of dollars over your best offer. So let's say the offer is 200 grand. And so you put in there, my offer is 200 grand, but I will pay $5,000 over the best offer. An offer comes in at 210. So now my offer is 215. I don't think that's a very good offer for the market, the buyer or the seller. Um, basically what you're doing as a real estate agent, we when you put the escalation clause in there and say, I'll pay 5000 over the best offer is you're opening up a checkbook because we don't know what the best offer is. And we have to take it on face value that this was a genuine offer, that it wasn't his best friend that just came in at 250 and so now you're at $255. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of agents then will come in and say, okay, well, we're $5,000 over the best offer up to 250 Well, what do we just tell the seller? I'm willing to pay 250, so the seller just counters back at 250. Mm-hmm. The other issue you start seeing in these is when you have two of them. I got one that says that 5,000 over the best offer. I have another one that says they're 5,000 over the best offer. When does infinity end? Mm-hmm. It just keeps going and going. There's no final number. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of those for buyers. I think they're dangerous for buyers because I do think it's just opening up your wallet. And, and when you do put those caveats or those limitations, you're just telling the seller what your offer is and make your best offer. This is my best offer and this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I did a, a, a podcast. I think that's a common theme I keep saying today, but mm-hmm. I did another podcast on that one. That's uh, That's actually my number one listened to podcasts so far that one actually made it to the top 125 wow. of on all of apple's nationwide platform wow. so of their how to do videos
0: congratulations how to do what's there. the subject on that one
1: it's called escalation clauses whether you should use it or not
0: right it's a hot topic right no. now um again, going back to a lot of people getting their their license, they're new, they don't know. Right. They they just don't know. And there's the Um,
1: desperation aspect as well, because you have buyers that are desperate. They're putting in five, six, seven offers and not getting them accepted. And then you have agents and people need to understand that this is a livelihood for the real estate agents. That's what they do for a living. And so when they do closings, that's how they make money. And Mm -hmm. so when you have a brand new agent who hasn't had a closing yet and they got a buyer who is ready to buy, mm-hmm. but they can't find them anything. They're not making any money. They have house payments themselves. They have car payments, they have family, kids. And mm-hmm. so it becomes a desperation. What can I do to get this offer accepted? Cause I've got a buyer willing to buy, but I can't make any money. And I think that's driving a lot of these crazy ideas now.
0: Yes. Um, and a new, a new agent representing the seller and having multiple offers Mm -hmm. uh, with an escalation clause may not fully understand um, the escalation clause. And I I think that's when it gets a little bit dangerous. That's why when I'm on the other end representing a buyer, I think it's just best to tell the buyer, just tell me what your highest and best. Right. You know. go strong. Yeah, let's just go in strong. Let's not do um, escalation clauses. Um, cause that may confuse a new agent, mm-hmm. right?
1: Right. I agree hundred percent. I'm not a fan,
0: not a big fan. Um, waiving contingencies.
1: All right. So from a buyer standpoint, there's a risk, yes. but there's also a reward. Okay. If I'm a seller and I'm getting multiple offers and your offer has no financing contingency, it doesn't have an appraisal contingency, we're maybe even waiving um, inspections or repairs, um, that's going to be an offer as a seller I'm going to be very excited about because mm-hmm. I know once we get this offer in, it's going to close and it's going to close for this amount. Mm-hmm. The problem for a buyer is you may overpay Mm -hmm. greatly because you're not sure what the appraised value is. Um, There may be be issues with the house in terms of repairs and damages you didn't know about. Um, And financially, you might not have been in a position to do this. Everybody's situation's different. Um, if you are buying a new uh, a house, let's say I had bought a new construction house and now I'm moving because I had to relocate within six months, mm-hmm. that's probably a house you can do without a repair or a due diligence period because that house is gonna be in good condition. Mm-hmm. That's the situation I, can, I might be able to do it. Or let's say I make a million dollars a year, and I'm looking to buy a $300,000 house. Financially, I know I can handle that. So it takes a lot of research by the buyer to make sure they can handle it financially, to look and see what the condition and age of this house is gonna be. But there is a lot of risk. For sellers, they love them.
0: Right, of course they do. Um, The access clause, I think, is is creating a lot of conflict, especially when you mix it with the seller's disclosure and then you find something that wasn't disclosed in the first place, Mm -hmm. and now the buyer wants to back out because they found something that was obvious, and th- it's kind of obvious the seller knew. Right. Uh, what do you what What do you think of situations like that? Uh,
1: the as is provision is a great provision, like I said. If you have know what your risks are. Right. Um, but there is a lot of risk. The as is clause gets abused both in Greenville and in Columbia. The way the as is clause is. It's as is, but like in Columbia, we can do a due diligence inspection just to make sure that the house is what we believe it to be. Mm -hmm. And what should result in that is if I do my inspections and the house is not what I thought it should be, then I should walk. There's no ask for repairs. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing now is that the buyers come back and say, well, it's as is, I'm not going to buy it, but if you do these repairs, I will. So that was really never the intent of what that paragraph in the contracts were for, but that's what's happening there. Um, You you, you wind, wind up just... Exposing uh, both the buyer and the seller to a big dispute. And when you start getting into seller disclosure, people have to understand a seller disclosure is not a warranty, first of all. Mm -hmm. It is not saying that the house has no issues. It is saying that these issues that the state of South Carolina demands that I disclose to you, I'm disclosing those. So, for instance, if an outlet doesn't work or a light doesn't work, that might not be an item on seller disclosure I have to disclose. Mm -hmm. If I have termite damages, heating and air damages, roof leaks. Those are things. So I think a lot of people get that mixed up and they think that the house, because there's a seller disclosure, if anything breaks, the seller's automatically lied and they should have disclosed it. So we have to understand what's really in that seller disclosure. But we also have to understand that most people don't know about their house. Let's be honest about that. If you were to go fill out a life insurance um, application today, that one of the questions they I ask you is list every medical procedure, or every medical issue you've had in the last five years, you will not be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Every time I do one of these medical questions when we change insurance or whatever at the office, it, It amazes me. I cannot remember the last time I went to the doctor. I don't remember what I went there for. I don't remember when I had a surgery. I'm like, oh, that was five years ago. Only to realize when your wife tells you no, that was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. People forget. If you can't remember your medical history, how is it you're going to remember every little thing that's ever been fixed in your house? So there's a lot of that where people just don't remember. And the other thing that I think people also misunderstand is they think that real estate agents know the condition of the house. Right. We, as agents, and I have an agent, I'm a broker as well, but I I don't sell real estate. I just do closings. Um... Real estate agents don't have any independent knowledge of the condition of the house. And so when right. when things are wrong, they think, well, the real estate agent knew or should have known. Well, you have to have some actual evidence to show that the real estate agent knew. That, that's not often the case. It's very rarely the case that a real estate agent knew of something that was going on that the seller didn't disclose.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, I had a situation. Um, I'm not going to say on which side I was, right. but um, there was obvious flooding in the house and Mm -hmm. that was not in the seller's disclosure that was found later during the inspection Um, and the dispute was this should have been disclosed from the very beginning and if the buyer knew from day one the buyer would not have entered into an agreement to purchase this house. So
1: the state law says if an item, in order for them to have to disclose it, it has to be a current condition, it has to be a current problem, a current issue. If it is something they have repaired in the past, they don't have to disclose it. However, I take a different approach. I actually sat on the task force that wrote the seller disclosure form. We. South Carolina um, South Carolina redid the disclosure disclosure form a few years ago and it came out and it lasted for about a month because it was horrific, and I went around the state of South Carolina complaining about how dangerous this document was, so they said, well, good, you can be on the task force to fix it and we can't pay you to do it, but you know you're going to do it. Awesome. So I sat on the task force with a couple of the real estate commissioners and some real estate agents and we rewrote the current form. And actually, I've written a book since then. And you can you can find that on blaircato.com uh, under resources. There's a book on seller disclosure. the man who helped write the form wow um but what you will find is that that is that the four things i believe that every seller should always disclose repaired or not any heating and air issues you you should go ahead and repair it or disclose it Uh, termite issues Mm -hmm. water intrusion and structural matters it doesn't matter whether those have been repaired or not, every consumer wants to know about those, mm-hmm. and regardless whether you disclose it, and regardless whether you have a requirement to disclose it, I see sellers getting sued for that all the time. And I've served as an expert on cases before on a, on a situation. We had a case where the um, house had 30 foundation piers.
0: Hmm.
1: The buyer sued saying, you didn't tell me. Well, right. under the law, they had no duty to tell them because they fixed the foundation issue. Mm -hmm. but and now after serving as the expert on that case which they wound up settling it they had no legal argument but as a seller it's probably just wise to go ahead and disclose it and say we have 30 foundation piers my house is now more structurally sound than any house in the neighborhood here's the warranty that goes along with it
0: well i'm so glad i got the expert here explaining the seller's disclosure gary you're awesome i didn't know that you were behind um you know making um, such big decisions in the state. Uh, But now that we know that, let's talk, uh, I kind of know a little bit, but I want you to educate our audience about buyers and sellers remorse, because we just touched the subject. This buyer that I was talking about didn't want the house any longer, because he realized that there was something wrong with the house, um, and he was just mad that it wasn't disclosed.
1: Buyers and sellers remorse is a big Um, (laughs) to-do. I always tell people that there's legalities and there's realities. Mm -hmm. And most lawyers, when they speak with their consumers or with the the client, they always talk about legally, this is what your legal rights are. But when we talk about your legal rights, we also have to talk about the reality of it. And what we'll find most of the time is that when there's the default, Mm -hmm. the damages are so minimal, that there's really not much to go after. So for instance, I've had a friend of mine who owned a house and the buyer was moving from Ohio. So it's one of those where the buyer's never seen the house, they've never been in the house. They come down to closing and they decide they don't like it.
0: Oh no. So
1: the day of closing, they decide they don't want to buy it.
0: Why did they make an offer? Right. On a house that they did the first right. place.
1: Bad agent should have gone in and at least done some type of visual showing with an iPad or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my friend calls me and goes, what can I do? I said, well, they're in default.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what's my, rem- what's my remedies? Well, you can keep the earnest monies, one. How much was it? $1,000. Well... That's not gonna satisfy them very much. Um, Or you can sue them. Well, how much is that gonna cost me? Well, most lawyers are gonna charge you $300 or $400 an hour. You're gonna probably be asked to put down a $10,000 retainer. Okay, well, what can I win? (laughs) Well, your house was for sale for 200. You're in the hottest market ever. You put the house back on the market. What do you think you'll sell the house for? Well, my agent says I can sell it for 210 now. Where's your damages? You made another (laughs) 10,000. So right now in the market that we're in, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. buyer's remorse, is not as much as seller's remorse um, but that becomes a reality and a legality. Now, when you talk about it from the buyer side, that's more of an issue. So I always tell agents, try to get as much earnest money up front as possible, because if a buyer defaults, your remedy truly is the retention of earnest money. So if you're getting $500, $1,000, most sellers aren't going to be happy with that. Yeah. But if you get 5000
0: That makes sense. That makes
1: a lot more, more sense for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if a seller has seller remorse, and this is something that I've never seen in 26 years. It's happening all the time now. A seller's under contract to sell the house to you. Mm-hmm. they can't find a house. So a week before closing, they realize they have nowhere to live and they don't want to go down to the extended stay. Yeah. So they say, well, I can't sell the house because I have nowhere to go. Yeah. Well, that's not a provision in the contract that if the seller can't find somewhere to go, then the contract's off. I have started seeing agents putting that in there, which is the seller has the right to rescind the contract for any reason up to this date, meaning that the seller has until such and such date to go find a house. Mm-hmm. A buyer has a little bit better recourse. If a seller just has seller remorse and says, I'm not selling it, a buyer can always file a list pendants against the property, which is basically, it says, I'm getting ready to file a lawsuit on this property. And they can sue the seller for specific performance. And which, they can't
0: m- sell the house, right? Right. They
1: can't sell the house to anybody else. Um, and the buyer has is now saying, I'm trying to buy this house. I'm suing you to make you sell me this house. Mm-hmm. And a court typically is going to decide with the buyer saying, you're under contract seller, unless you have a reason to get out, you have to sell this house. And so what happens in the end, they'll be forced to sell it. But let's talk again about realities. Mm-hmm. How long is that going to take us? Right. 12 months? Yeah. How much are you going to pay an attorney for that? Five thousand, ten thousand, maybe the court rewards you the attorney fees, mm-hmm. but now you got to try to collect those attorney fees, and it's just it's going to be a time consuming issue. So, again, as a lawyer, I'm one of the few lawyers I think that likes to do it this way, but I always tell people what their legal rights are, and then let's talk about realities because realities often trump.
0: Yeah, we all always want to find solutions right. um, outside of a courtroom.
1: Courtroom is your worst solution. It's time consuming. It's expensive. Right, and it's not going to. Result in, in a very quick favorable result for right. everybody.
0: Right, but I, I'm I'm glad you touch that subject um, because we we are seeing more sellers' remorse right. now than than ever before. A lot right. of sellers are saying, "Well, um, I'm in this situation. What am I gonna do next?" Or um, they think they can sell for more if they wait um, a bit longer, which I don't. it doesn't make sense to me I'm like this is the best market and I made actually a TikTok video um, almost went viral Um, that one I have other viral videos but this one I said well, when do you want to list when you die when the market crashes I know it's not crashing but this is the best best sellers market ever right right? so why wait Um, talking about the insane market that we're seeing Mm. I'm seeing more love letters right And I think they're creating trouble. Yes. Fair housing um, is not very happy with some love letters that buyers are writing to sellers. Right.
1: So what we're talking about is... uh some buyers are creating letters, notebooks, having their kids draw pictures, having their kids write stories of why they want to buy your house. And so when the offer comes to you as a seller, it comes with this presentation, almost like a uh, middle school presentation for a a book report. And they're very pretty. And the kids will draw pictures and go, please sell me your house. And I had not really heard about this until about maybe 10 years ago. I did a closing for a client in Seattle. And he said when he sold their house, they got notebooks and every kid that was involved wow. were drawing pictures going please Mr. So-and-so sell me my, sell me this house and I said well why did you even look at him and he goes well you know my parents still live in the neighborhood and I want to make sure we have a good neighbor and I'm like what do you mean by good neighbor mm-hmm. which brings the problem Right. it's a fair housing issue mm-hmm. good neighbor is that based on race, religion, national origin color, sexual orientation what are you talking about good neighbor?
0: Family status. Family status mm-hmm.
1: and so it really really opens you up mm-hmm. for a fair housing claim. The National Association of Realtors doesn't like them. I uh, did a, a seminar last week with Byron King, who is the chief attorney for the state Realtor Association. Byron King is a, a tremendous resource. And we were talking about that with all the brokers. And his position is the same as mine. Don't do them. Don't take them. Don't forward them on, because it is a guaranteed fair housing issue for you. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with it. And, and the state association is so serious about it they hired one of my former law clerk, uh, clerks, Tara Pitts. She's now the fair housing uh, director over at the state association because they are very concerned about these things. Yeah. The only thing that should dictate whether you sell the house to somebody is the terms in the contract. That's exactly. it. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what color they are. Doesn't matter what they do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's irrelevant. It, and is, it shouldn't be part of our market.
0: It, it is completely irre- irrelevant. And by the way, I do not show uh, love letters. So anybody out there, don't send those Definitely. to me. Um, I, I do explain this up front to my sellers um, and why I believe it's best to keep them away because it just exposes them uh, to liability that they don't need at, at sellers and I don't need as an agent. Right. Um, so we, we just want to keep it fair. However, I, I saw a Facebook post um, of a seller who said that they received so many offers and they decided not to pick a full ask, actually over asking price, uh, highest cash offer, as is with the best terms the seller could dream of, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This seller decided not to because she said in her Facebook post that she got um, love letters and in it there was one from a family and she believed this family deserved the house more than the arrogant um, outsider who made this amazing offer. In my opinion, why are you judging? You don't know if this person has a family or not, or if they worked their entire life to save up that money. Right. Um, and it's just it's just illegally unfair
1: but what protected class was the arrogant seller if that seller is in a protected class Mm -hmm. or that buyer rather is in a protected class you may be facing a fair housing claim just not worth the risk
0: right um again we started this this video with are we in a crash i don't think we're in a crash and we're just touching all the points that we believe um are creating this, this crazy supply and demand issue, and then the experiences um, that we're having, um, myself as an agent, and then Gary as um, an attorney and all the legality behind it, but let's talk about builders right now because we didn't think, I, I didn't think until recently that we're, we're gonna face any problems with builders.
1: Right. Lots of things going on with builders. Builders are getting hammered. Um, I was on the board of directors for the Building Industry Association for Central South Carolina, which is basically the HBA. So you
0: have been in every so, board. So
1: I've been, I've been on that board. I've written the contract for the state or for the uh, Central Carolina Realtors Association. So I've on, tried to do it from all different angles. Uh, what we're finding with the builders, they're getting hammered right now on prices. Mm-hmm. Lumber, for instance, I had a friend here in Spartanburg where I grew up who posted the most interesting Instagram post. In April two thousand and twenty, if you wanted to build a two hundred square foot deck, mm-hmm. which is twenty by ten, I think she had it was eight hundred and thirty eight dollars for the lumber right today that lumber by itself not the labor is three thousand six hundred and eighty something dollars mm-hmm. that 's how much lumber has gone up on builders. One of my builders I represent in the low, in the midlands. He said he had a uh, lumber company call him and said, I need you to buy the lumber today because tomorrow the price is going up $45,000 on the lumber package for that house. Wow. So if you think about that, where a builder has a house priced at three hundred grand, and then the bill comes in for the lumber, so he sells it pre-construction, then the lumber price comes in, it's forty, 000, fifty thousand dollars 50000 more, he's losing money now on the house. Mm-hmm. Custom builders are getting killed because I have a custom builder who signed a contract based on this price, this square footage, and then the lumber package came in for him twenty. Mm $25,000. Last night, I spoke to Great Southern Homes, one of the uh, principals over there. He said they can't get paint. They're out of paint at Sherwin-Williams. They're having to go to Lowe's and trying to work out contracts with Lowe's to get massive amounts of paint. Mm -hmm. They can't get the tape for the walls. Uh, They run out of bathtubs. He said he has three houses right now. They're waiting on bathtubs.
0: Right. Windows, doors, everything.
1: Right. And so what's happened, COVID has obviously slowed some things down because Mm -hmm. production and it's finally catching up to us a year later. You know, they shut down a year ago for three or four months. Mm-hmm. They already had inventory. So we've now gone through their inventory. And now we're that three months, which would have been added to the back of their inventory, is not there. Mm-hmm. And so they're just they're, they're, they're behind because of that. The, the building demand, these guys are building more houses than they've ever been. So the demand is greater than it's ever been. So they're running through everything they have. Uh, It's so bad. Uh, We had a builder in Charleston is offering to buy your contract back for $10,000. What that means is he signed contracts and he will pay you $10,000 not to buy his house (laughs) because either he wants to reprice it because the price has gone up and he knows he can make more money or you had already signed a contract. And his prices went up so much because even that little OSB board, that that everything they use for ceilings or for for the roof, for the floor, for the walls, that board went from like $13 to like $60. Mm -hmm. The prices, it's just just killing them. Everything's going up. So the builders are in a bad situation there. Then on top of that, the moratoriums are coming out. Lexington County just put a moratorium if the... More than 10 lots in a subdivision, they will not approve anything else. Mm-hmm. I think it's eight. Actually, it was eight or 10. Lots or less, they'll approve. But anything above that, they put a moratorium on. Their reasoning is, that this growth is so great, they can't keep up with the growth. Mm-hmm. My question is, in six months, how many roads are they going to build? How many schools are they going to build? None. They're not. Right. So it's really, it's just stupid. What they're going to do is in six months, come out with a bunch of impact fees that they're going to add on to the builders, which is going to increase the cost of the house. Right. The town of, uh, the city of Greenville looked at one but as far as we hear they're not going to do it right now. Uh, Mount Pleasant's had one for years and all it's done is stifled growth and increase houses which brings us to the worst issue affordable housing.
0: Oh my god yes. Mor-
1: moratoriums kill affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Politicians love to talk about affordable housing at the same time they add impact fees and regulations which drive the price of the house up. Right. So there is no affordable housing because a builder can't build it for that price.
0: Right, where is the average family gonna go? There's really not a lot um, available in, in our market. Mm-hmm. You gotta go way out, but what about the people that work here in the upstate? And now they're gonna have to drive an hour, an hour and a half. Um, we, we just have all these issues with um, just housing right now. It's, it's insane. Um, but going back to builders, right now we're seeing a lot of builders that were selling pre-construction homes and now they're not right. even national builders right
1: and what they're telling me when i speak to my builders about that is that they don't know what the cost of the house is going to exactly. be exactly and so if they sell it to you in foundation stage or framing stage they may look be looking at a cost of x mm-hmm. but as the materials come in it's x plus plus twenty thousand. and right. so they've written a contract with you for x which was going to make them a $20,000 profit. Well, their mm-hmm. price went, their costs went up $20,000. And so now they're making zero, in some cases losing money. So all the builders now are saying enough of this. When the house is finished, mm-hmm. we'll sell it. Which means the buyer doesn't get to pick the colors. They don't get to pick the carpet. They don't get to pick the hardwoods. They're not picking the brick. They're not picking anything anymore. It's take right. it or leave it. Yeah. But when you're in this kind of market, mm-hmm. doesn't matter, builders can do that.
0: Oh yeah. Um- I was at a model house the other day, writing the last contract that we could write, and there were families outside of the model house. It it felt like they were protesting. Seriously, they were so angry. Um, I felt that they were gonna break the windows anytime. Wow. Yes. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to create drama. (laughs) This is just real life, this this is what I saw. Um, They were just mad that there were no homes available. Yes, they were still building, but those lots were not released for sale. Right. Um, so we're seeing that new trend uh, with builders. We're also seeing some clauses. Um, and this is where, especially new agents, need to pay attention to. Um, there's there are some clauses with smaller builders, is what I'm seeing, uh, where they can adjust the price.
1: Right. We've always had in the contracts that we've done, act of God clauses. Mm -hmm. And and what it was basically for was if we had a COVID outbreak, like we just experienced last year, or if we went to war or there was a strike, Mm -hmm. that would allow the builder to either cancel the contract or adjust the price. Right. This is completely different now. Now it's because a lot of people saying, well, this isn't really an act of war. This isn't a supply and demand issue, which I I disagree it is a supply and demand issue Mm -hmm. caused by the act of God COVID. Um, But because they don't want to argue about that, they're now putting those provisions in there, especially if you're looking to do anything with a custom builder. And if you're a custom builder, you have to put that in there because a custom builder will quote you 110 a square foot. Mm -hmm. Well, that's based on lumber costing X. Bath fixtures costing X, but when they're now X times 10, mm-hmm. they're losing money, and so they're all having to put that in there. So the builders are trying to do everything they can to cover themselves in these mm-hmm. bad situations. But understand, you're going, you can find yourself paying more than you originally thought.
0: Yeah, we're seeing that with just specs. Um, here in the upstate. We're seeing those um, price adjustment clauses uh, very often. Again, with smaller builders, not national builders right. or builders that are building communities, but we are seeing those clauses. And just be in the lookout. Uh, do pay attention to your contracts and actually read them. Don't just sign anything because you're desperate and you need to get into your buyer um, into a house. But... I'm actually building a few homes myself right now as we speak. Um, I I still believe this is a fantastic market, and I put my money where my mouth is. Um, As I mentioned, I recently just made South Carolina officially my home after many, many years. Um, Yesterday, I actually closed on my house.
1: Fantastic.
0: Thank you. I'm very, very happy. And we're building... Uh, three properties right now. Two are going to be for sale, Okay, and I w- I thought of, of I actually listed them as pre-construction, mm-hmm. and then I took them off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because a little scared too, I guess. Yeah, yeah, our
0: budget went up, and one of the homes that we're building, um, our budget went up almost by a hundred thousand dollars. Jeez. Mm-hmm. It's a nice house sitting on one acre, mm-hmm. and. I'm just going to wait until it's complete. We're going to stage it and, and sell it for top dollars, but uh, it, it's insane right now. I just I, I can't completely understand the situation on other people uh, that are selling um, pre-construction mm. and, and not wanting to move forward with it because the, the market is just crazy. But
1: well, what we need to understand about this, and I think you've hit this several times, is market's crazy. But if you're a seller, that's good.
0: It's great. You're gonna get
1: more money for your house than you've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. Secondly, once you sell your house, interest rates are insane. I mean, we're we're still under three for the most part. I did one the other day for two and a quarter, Mm -hmm. military. So be reasonable, be smart about it. But the main thing is you gotta have a good agent. If you've got a good agent like America who knows what she's doing and can help you out and keep your sense about you. The problem is as humans, we get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like, I gotta have it and I'm gonna pay this for it. And America's there to help you keep your senses, keep, keep calm and carry on, as they say, and realize we're gonna sell your house and you're gonna make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You're gonna buy a house, you might pay a little bit more, but you're gonna get a great interest rate. So what you pay a little bit more for is definitely gonna be offset by what you sell that house for. So I don't want people to be scared by the market. It is a crazy market, mm-hmm. but it's a fun market.
0: It is. And it's a
1: great market to be in if you're a seller. You need to put your houses for sale if you're a seller. You'll never do better than you, all, or you will now, right now. I mean, and it's just, the market's great.
0: You know what, I still think it's also a fantastic market for buyers. Yes, it's challenging to find a house, but with interest rates being so low, um, even if you pay over asking price, um, that's just inflation anyways, right? right? Everything's going to go up. It it, is. Everything is already going up, not just real estate.
1: Spending money like drunken college kids in Amsterdam, so it's going to go up.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: I mean, a trillion here, a trillion there, what does it matter? Eh.
0: Uh, right. Let's just make it rain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: what, that's what the government's doing.
0: Right. But I, I still think it's a great market. That's why I bought myself a house. Uh, again, I, I always put my money where my mouth is, and I will not tell someone out there to go buy a house if I didn't think it was a great market to do that. Interest rates are so low. You're still saving a lot of money in the long term. Absolutely, right? Um, I
1: bought my first house. My interest rate was nine percent, and I thought I had robbed the bank because it was such a great interest rate. That wow. was just in nineteen ninety nine. I mean, yes. that was a little over what twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Nine to three. Right. I mean. <laughs> it's car it's like it's like a price for car loan right now i mean we're seeing interest rates at the same level of car as car loans it's crazy
0: right so eventually i do think we're gonna see a price adjustment i don't think we are in a crash i I think we're just um seeing a seller's market right Right. And, and i think it's a great market yes everything's going up inflation is a real thing um but i believe in real estate so much it's my passion That's why I'm building houses that we're going to sell. That's why I'm growing our rental portfolio. And that's why I just bought myself a house. So I just wanted to make that clear for everyone out there. I don't think we are in a crash. I don't think we're in a bubble.
1: And Zillow and Yahoo Finance both think that we are about ready to see an increase in inventory. Mm -hmm. They said we could see that through the end of this year through 2022. So good news.
0: I think it's great news. Um, I think the forbearance period, I don't think we know much about it. But the little bit that I was able to find out is that the period is about to be over. Mm -hmm. For some, it has been already been over. So people that were in a situation um, that they needed to get out now that they're going to have to.
1: Right. I think, it's, I think a lot of this forbearance is coming to an end. It's, it's such a tough um, topic to really get a hold of because you mm-hmm. just can't get good information. It no. changes all the time. Same thing with the uh, moratorium on evictions. That's changes by state, by federal law. It all right. changes. So you almost have to be looking at it daily. Uh, so yes, I do think, but I do believe that the forbearance will be ending soon. And I think PCSing in the military is going to be opening soon. I think sell, more sellers are going to start putting houses on the market. So I think we're going to get to there. <laughs>
0: Right. Again, sellers that were afraid of selling during this time because they didn't want people in and out during the pandemic. Uh, They were afraid of COVID. I I think the fear is moving away. Um,
1: Less and less people wearing masks, vaccines were happening.
0: Right. So anyways... Here is um, our point. Uh, my point, at least. I don't think we're in a crash. Um, Gary, thank you so much for...
1: Thank you for having For me.
0: being here. This was fun. Oh my God, all the information you shared with us. Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to um, end this video with?
1: Well, follow me on my podcast. If you go to Apple, you just type in Dishin Dirt, D-I-S-H-I-N with a little apostrophe Dirt, and you can find a lot of great information on real estate, or you can even go to our website, BlairCato.com, and you can find my podcast there. But uh, I love to educate people. And provide as much information, so follow us and uh, let us know if we can do anything for you. Okay, closing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Gary, thank you so much again. Everyone, uh, stay tuned. Thank you so much for for watching this episode. I can't wait to see you on the next one. Remember, we are here to educate you, and I love you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of. America's Property Show. Know someone that will love the show? Want to know what we're up to off the mic and keep up with real estate trends? Follow us on all social media platforms at America's Properties. Make sure to subscribe and drop a DM to join the conversation. This was America's Property Show.